0: Sovereign in the mountain air Sovereign on the ocean floor overcome the grave, overcome the grave. i
1: We will be reading this morning from Psalm 119, verses 81 to 88, and I'd ask that you would remain standing, if you're able, for the reading of the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. We'll be reading Psalm 119, 81 to 88, and it says, My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. And you may be seated. As we pray for our service this morning, we want to remember Rick and Dana Franklin, who serve with Arrow Ministries in Canada. We have supported them for a long time, and they are involved in providing leadership and training for ministry leaders um, around the world. And so we want to remember them and pray for them this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you and we are grateful that we can gather together. Thank you for the blessing of your gathered people that we call the church. God, may we, as we come together, echo the heart of Peter who said, Where else shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. And so we come together this morning, God, and we want to hear those words of eternal life, those life-giving words. God, we know that we are like sheep who have gone astray, and God, that we have wandered into our own sin, and we have pursued our own selfish desires, and God, we have abandoned you and forgotten about you or never even seen you in the first place. But, God, we know that for those who believe you have put our sin on Jesus, that you have put our sin on the cross, and that the penalty for our sin has been paid for. And so, God, as we come together this morning, we want to hear those words of eternal life that remind us that though we are sinful... God, we can stand before you righteous and pure because of the blood of Jesus. And so we are grateful for the cross, and we want to turn to the cross and to see the treasure that Jesus is. May we be like the man who saw the treasure in the field and sold all that he had to obtain that treasure because we know how great and how valuable Jesus is. God, we want to turn from sin, not because we somehow think that we can earn favor with you, but God, we want to turn from sin because we want Jesus. We don't want anything to be in the way of the treasure that is Jesus. And so, God, as we come to see your word and hear your word this morning, as we sing songs that echo truth of what you say, as we fellowship together, God, may we be directed toward the treasure of Jesus, and uh, may we be reminded that all that you say in your word are words of eternal life, and that we would cling to those words. God, thank you for Rick and for Dana and for their desire to proclaim those words and to train people for ministry to proclaim your truth and to proclaim your gospel throughout this world. Would you empower them, strengthen them, encourage them, God, that they would see fruit in their ministry. God, we pray that you would bless this morning and that your word would go forth and do what it does and change lives and conform people to be more like Jesus, to bring Him glory. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: these truths that have always been unchanged and will echo through eternity would, would enter our hearts when we stand on your promises. Lord, please uh, do your work in our hearts this morning. Give your word spiritual power. In it's the name of Christ that we pray, amen.
2: Amen. Surprise, I'm not Mike Shera, but I am James Holt, and I'm one of the associate pastors here. Mike will be back this Wednesday. Uh, for midweek service and next Sunday uh, for preaching, and we'll continue through our series in 2 Thessalonians. But today we're going to be in Psalm 119. Um, and there's a, a, a question that, that or a, a phrase that sometimes you finish, especially when you're young. You think, when I grow up, right? When I grow up. And how, how did you finish that phrase when you were a kid? You know, I finished it as, when I grow up, I want to be a fighter pilot. And then I went to the doctors, and they were like, yeah, your eyes aren't going to be able to do that, so uh, crush those dreams, right? No, uh, but, but we have that idea that, you know, hey, at some point we want to reach maturity and have these, these dreams and, and things come true. Our boys, similarly, at our house have, have those dreams, and, and right now one of those dreams is to be a fighter pilot because they're reading about jets, they're reading about fighter jets, they're reading about these amazing machines and think that would be really cool. And oftentimes, their, their finishing of that phrase lands with what we're reading. And so they were reading about race cars, and they want to be a race car driver. I'm just waiting. We're reading The Lord of the Rings right now. I'm just waiting for one of them to say, I, when I grow up, I want to be a hobbit. So it doesn't, it doesn't quite work that way. You can't grow up and be a hobbit. But if you don't understand that, don't worry about it. You don't need to. But we have this idea. We, we, we desire... Maturity. We desire things to come to fruition. We desire to come to a place of understanding. We desire to come to a place where those, those things kind of fit together and, and they, they whether they're more comfortable or not, they're at least a little bit easier and understood. We want to get to that place of maturity, right? This is the place where, where, where a little bit more comfort. We often think it's going to happen in the future. The mom with the, the, the new baby thinks, oh, when this baby finally sleeps through the night. I'll feel like a person again. And then with small children, you think, oh, when they just grow up a a little bit older and they can do a little more on their own, then you end up with junior hires and you think, what was I thinking? Um, We're not there yet, but we'll get there. Uh, And so we have this idea that maturity will have some good results on our end. And those good results, we often think, might be a little more comfort, a little more ease, a little more understanding. And sometimes we think that about our spiritual maturity. Sometimes we think like, man, there's this class of, of Christians that might be just a little bit closer to superheroes because their, their faith, they just it seems like it's always easy for them or they, they don't have struggles. They don't have some of the difficulties that I'm facing and there must be something wrong with me because these things are still going on and I still have struggles and I still have conflicts and I still have questions. But we're gonna to go to the Word this morning and, and find some great wisdom that I think might encourage you. Because it's it's not true that in our spiritual walk we're gonna to get to this place where we struggles and strife cease. Not in this life. It's not true that we're gonna to come to a place where we never have any questions again. But we'll learn through that process of maturity through that process of testing, just like if you want to be a fighter pilot, you have to go through the test. You have to go to Top Gun. If you want to be mature in Christ, there are things he's going to use in that process. And guess what? Those things, after you learn them, doesn't mean you don't have to keep using them. But really, it's It's appointed back to, look, your faith started in me. Your faith started with confidence that I could forgive your sins and transform you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And it's going to continue that way, actually, because we're going to see from this example of faith in Psalm 119. If you know a little bit about Psalm 119, it's like when you open your Bible, you're most likely to land in Psalm 119. It's the largest chapter. And the author of Psalm 119 I don't know, because uh, it's not told to us. And some people think it might be David, uh, because he wrote a lot of psalms. So, I mean, I've thought that in my life. It's probably David if it's a psalm, right? Uh, but it, it, it kind of the evidence points to probably someone a little bit later. Somebody who's sojourning in the land, as verse 54 will tell us. Like He's, he's outside of God's promised land and probably in exile. And so it could be someone like Daniel. I mean, they have a love for the word. This psalm is 22 stanzas of eight verses. And why is it 22, you might ask? Because the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters in it. And so this person started with the letter A in Hebrew, which is Aleph, and they wrote eight verses beginning with the letter A, and then they went to their B and C. And so it's kind of like this is a love letter about the strength and power and perfection of God's word that goes from A to Z. It covers all the bases. And it covers a lot of things for us and gives us. It has some really high highs. You might, you might be familiar with some verses from Psalm 119. Like the word, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my... Or I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not... If you didn't pass the test, it's okay. You can go back and study more. It's good. So you're familiar with Psalm 119. But there's a lot of it. Don't worry. We're not going to cover it all this morning. And so... We look at this psalm and we're going to get a picture of someone who no doubt is spiritually mature, no doubt loves God's word, right? This person is firm in their faith. And I think it might encourage us to see that that looks a whole lot weaker than we might have thought. That looks a whole lot more like there will still be some questions and that's okay, That looks a whole lot more like complete dependence still. And so as we look at this psalm, I hope it encourages you this morning, because we have a source of strength, and, and that's where we want to go. Maturity will not bring an end to our struggles, and it won't bring an end to our conflicts. It won't bring an end to our need to depend on God. And we're going to start here in verse 81 and look through some of the state of the psalmist, some of the state of this mature believer, uh, and kind of analyze what what he is going through here. He begins in, in 81. It says, My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. Here, this longing isn't just like a wish or a desire. This longing is is an intense need. Something is missing. Something is needed. And it's desperately needed because that longing is, is like a languishing. It's like, it's like Lawrence of Arabia going through the desert and coming out the other end crying out for water. That's the type of longing that is here. It's the type of longing that has an intense need. It's a languishing. It, it's a fainting. And so he's longing And what is he longing for? He's longing for God's salvation, God's deliverance. He's in the midst of a circumstance and a place and a time that's really, really hard. And and guess what? Even he longs to be delivered from it. Even our psalmist longs to be delivered from those struggles. In verse 82, he says, My eyes long again for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? We don't ask for comfort when our comfort is there. He's in a place, he's in a need of comfort. And so our psalmist is in a place where he's languishing, he's longing for comfort, he needs deliverance. And then he gives us this illustration, and I'm sure as you read it, you thought, oh, I understand that. 83, for I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. Any of you have wineskins at home? Any? any it, probably not these days. But I'm like a wineskin in the smoke. Yet I have not forgotten your statutes. And this this wineskin is, is something made out of leather. Uh, I don't have a lot of leather in my life, but I know that leather shouldn't be dried out. And when you have something too close to the fire, too close to the smoke, it's gonna dry it out. It's gonna wear it out. It's gonna, and in this case, something that's meant to hold liquid is going to become brittle and become useless. And the psalmist is saying, look, I feel like you left me next to the fire and forgot about me and neglected me, and I, I feel like I'm becoming useless. I'm becoming worn out. I don't know how much longer I can, I can stand in this place. The heat is drying him out, wearing him out. This is some intense emotion. Like, we, we love the psalms, in some ways because of this emotional language, because it really, I mean, it lets us know how these men of God who, who wrote worship psalms to him and praises for his word, how even they felt. And, and this is a pretty clear picture of someone who's in a difficult struggle, internally struggling. And so, so we see this picture, and we want to take a little bit of encouragement from this. That even someone faithful to God's word will at times feel weak, will at times have struggle, will at times feel like they're in need of comfort. Even while remaining faithful, there can be these feelings. And so it's not just a sign because of your, your weakness, because of your difficulty, because of your desire for comfort and deliverance. That's not a sign Right offhand, that something is wrong with you, or that something is wrong with your faith, and we have those questions all the time. A lot of times, we'll we'll have a headache and think, oh, "Lord, I'm, I must have done something wrong. Like I have this 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 thing is going wrong in life, or something else. You know, I, I got a traffic ticket, and ugh, oh, I must have. You know, God's God's judging me, and sometimes we have those thoughts about God thinking that he's just out to punish us. And that's not the case. That's not the God we serve. And so our struggles and our strife aren't always just a result of, of some failing in us. We know that because we think of the example of Job. If you think of Job, why was he chosen to suffer and be tried by Satan? He was Chosen by God. Imagine that. Job is really clear. God chose him and says, Satan, have you seen my servant Job? He was chosen. He suffered because he was a faithful servant of God. That was his choosing. God thought him worthy of those sufferings. Now we're getting a little nervous, (laughs) right? Now we're, we're at that place where, man, I kind of, like maybe some of us have heard that message that, hey, your life is going to be so much better with Jesus. And our, in our definition of better is something along the lines of more comfortable, more easy, uh, less strife, less struggle. It's true, your life is going to be better with Jesus. Not necessarily that definition of better. What did I sign up for, you might be. Well, let's go on to verse 84 here, and we'll see that it's not just struggles internally or stress and these emotions, but then we even see that that he's actually being persecuted. And in verse 84, it says, how long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? He's got questions, and it's all right that he has those questions. The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your word. I mean, picture this: they're, it's, it's like they're digging this, this pitfall is, is how they would trap a wild animal. And so they, they would dig deep pits so and cover them over and make a trap so that the animal, in the course of his running through the woods or desert or whatever it might be, would run over top and be caught unawares so that they could kill and trap him. This is how the psalmist feels feels like people are out to get him. And these people aren't those who serve God. They're the insolent. They're the arrogant. They've rejected God. The reason they're after him is because he is faithful to God. It says in 86, All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They're lying about him. They're making up stories. I mean, this would really fit with Daniel, right, if we thought about it? He was thrown into a pit with lions. He had people lying about him or making up laws so that they could persecute him in the midst of a foreign land, someone who is faithful to God's word, suffering and struggling, having people on his heels, feeling like he had to run. Verse 87 says, They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. And we see here, it's, it's okay. It's okay if you have questions. Just because you have questions doesn't mean something's wrong with you or with your faith. Now, we can notice some things about these questions that I think are really helpful. Because honestly, these questions reveal, these questions are a lot better than the questions I've had in times of struggle. These questions reveal a maturity that is like, it's deep and rich. His first question, when will you comfort me? He knows the source of comfort. He knows where comfort comes from. He knows in that same verse, he's he's longing for the promise. He knows that God has promised comfort and, and he is looking for that in the source of comfort. Who better to ask the question to than the source of comfort? In 84, he says, I... How long must your servant endure? This would be a bad question to ask the person sitting next to you because they don't know the future. This is a good question to ask the Lord. And it's an all right question to have. Because He is the one who knows the beginning of your days and knows the end of your days. He's the one who's who's planned them out. And the psalmist, this, this is an all right question. It's a really mature question. Next, in 84, he says, when will you judge those who persecute me? He knows who is the judge. He knows his place isn't to judge. And he looks for God's judgment to come because that judgment is good. And so our our psalmist has some really great questions here. One question that's missing that we often ask though, why? And you know, I think the psalmist has some idea of the why here. He identifies that they're after him because, because he's faithful to his word. That these are men who are insolent, arrogant against God and they're persecuting him. And so he has some understanding of the why. And hopefully at some point we will 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 We'll grow in our questions and we'll have less of the wise. Because I think God does have answers in his word for our wise. And the psalmist, in trusting God's word, asks these questions. And he's allowed to ask these questions. And you're allowed to ask questions. But in the midst of those questions, and in the midst of those struggles and that strife, we also see some, we we see how this mature, faithful. To God's word, man is. And he's someone who we see in 81, he hopes in God's word. In 82, he trusts God's word as a promise. 83, he has not forgotten your statutes. 85, they do not live according to your law. And look, in eighty. 86 all your commandments are sure they're trustworthy and in 87 but i have not forsaken your precepts and and there's this place where he's come to where where just because things are difficult just because suffering is unjust it shouldn't be he's facing sinners he's facing sin in a sinful world but that's not an excuse for him to forget god's statutes nor forsake god's statutes but to continue following with his hope fixed on the Lord. And it's a tough place to be. And he's not in the the toughest of all places that we've seen in Scripture. Because we know of, of someone who suffered even greater peril. We know of someone who actually was holy and suffered at the hands of unjust, unholy sinners because of our sin. Our perfect example, this this author is a great example, but our perfect example in suffering is Christ. And we know that Christ is the example that we're called to follow. We're invited into his suffering. And Christ never faltered from perfection. And Christ went to the cross obedient to the end. And Christ demonstrated faith. Because he knew the plan of God. I mean, we think, like, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. Why? Because he believed God could raise the dead. Jesus went to the cross knowing God's plan, knowing the suffering that was ahead of him, better than any of us ever know something that's that's to come, and trusting this plan was going to reap glory, a redeemed people for himself, a resurrection not only for himself but for us. And That's the the picture of someone who can endure suffering because they know the end. They trust God in his plan. And here we find out, you know, the psalmist, he's been lied about. They're after him. They're out to get him. And what does he come back to? He comes back to God's word, and not just God's word, but the source of that. In 88, we see, in your steadfast love, give me life. This is a prayer. In your steadfast love, give me life. It's a cry that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. And and as he thinks about this, he's thinking of God's steadfast love. This is the word hesed, which which went back to not just, just love, but God's covenantal love, his promise to be faithful to his word. This is a promise that God made to Moses and Abraham, a covenant that he would bring them out of Egypt. And guess what? He brought them out of Egypt, right? And that, that he would take them to a new land. And he promised that and he brought them to the new land. And guess what? In the end of Deuteronomy, he, he says, I will bless you if you follow the covenant and are faithful to it, and I will exile you if you are not faithful to the covenant. And God exiles them because He is faithful to His word, not so that they would remain in exile, not so that they would continually be under punishment, but so that He could bring them back and demonstrate His faithfulness, His promise to bless all nations through Abraham. God is faithful to His word, His word is as a promise. To us, we can trust it. It is worthy of our of our faith. And he says, In your steadfast love, give me life. God is the source of life. He identifies why he wants life. He wants it so that he can keep the testimonies of your mouth. He desires to honor God with his life, but he needs renewal, he needs, he needs strength. He's in a place of weakness, a place of questions, and, and he's not feeling like he has his own strength, despite his maturity, despite his knowledge of God's Word. He's not feeling like he has his own strength. He needs to return to the source of that strength. And look at those, those last three words here, of your mouth. Picture the mouth of God and how, how it's described in Scripture. It's described as, as the place where God spoke and the universe came into being. It's described as the place where God breathed life into a ball of dust and gave life and a soul to Adam. This amazing source is the one that he is going to, the mouth of God that that gave us his word, that gave it to Moses and to the prophets and to the apostles. This word of life that revives us and renews us, that teaches us of salvation, that causes faith to stir in our hearts as the Holy Spirit gives us understanding. This is the source he goes to. It's a faithful source. It's a worthy source. Oswald Chambers has identified, he says, suffering is the heritage of the bad, of the penitent, and of the son of God. Each one ends in the cross. The bad thief is crucified. The penitent thief is crucified. The son of God is crucified. We look at examples of faith in the Bible and and we we realize, like, really, if we've read our Bible, we, we know that it's not like Hey, there's not going to be struggles for those who are faithful. We look at Daniel. Where did Daniel get to see the angel of the Lord closing the mouths of the lions? In the lion's den. Where did Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego? Where did they get to walk with the Lord? In the fire. When did Job get answers to his questions? It's a trick question. He didn't. But when he saw God, when God came to him, he no longer had those same questions. Communion with God transforms the believer. And it happens in some of the hardest and most difficult places. That pressure forms us into something of great value and God is using it. Mountains don't come. You don't find, you don't, sorry, Diamonds don't get formed in the sand on a sunny beach under a palm tree. They get formed in the depths of a mountain. Underneath great pressure is where they're formed into something beautiful and valuable. Even the spiritually mature, as our psalmist gives us an example, don't come to a place where they begin to depend on their own strength, their own ability their own knowledge of God's word. But they continue to come back to the source, the very mouth of God, his word. Sometimes we, we view things wrongly and we, we want to correct those things and sometimes we view like our Christian walk and we, we kind of put God in the place of a dispenser. And so we think, okay, like I'm going to learn these verses and I'll put that in and I'm going to twist the thing and then I get what I want, right? Like it's, it's kind of that idea. We're like, hey, I'm going to be faithful in this Lord and then I'm going to twist that little knob and that gumball is going to come out and I'm going to chew it and blow some bubbles. My kids love blowing bubbles, right? We sometimes treat God that way. Like, hey Lord, I did this. All right, I'm, I'm waiting for the gumball, but it's, it's, it's really not that way. God's not our dispenser. That might as well be some sort of voodoo. Like, we are taught in God's word that he has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a will. And that will is the one we want to desire. And so when we learn more about his character and we learn more about who he is, then our our trust grows. That he does know what he's doing even though it doesn't feel like it, even though it, it's not easy, he does know what he's doing. Sometimes, uh, and you might, you might be in the place where, where you think, you know, like, look, I'm not the psalmist. The psalmist knows God's word. He, he trusts God's word. And so he's in a completely different league than I am, right? Like, he has great faith. I know I don't have great faith, and that's why I'm struggling. I know I don't have faith that is, is grounded like his. I don't know God's word like he did. I mean, but, but what do we see in scripture? Like, what do we see with those who have little faith who come to, come to the Lord? We see them receive compassion. We think about the, the man in Mark 9 who, can, who says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And you might be in that place this morning. I, I, I believe, but, but I have some unbelief. Help my unbelief. What happens to this guy when he confesses his unbelief? Jesus said, well, if you had enough faith, I'd heal your son. No, no, it doesn't end there, don't worry. Go to Mark 9, you can check it out later. Jesus healed his son. Spoiler. Jesus healed his son. He met him with compassion. And so if if you're in that place and you recognize, like, look, I just don't have the faith that this guy has, come and confess that. Come and, and say, Lord, help me. The Lord is the one who gives the, gives the growth. He's the one who gives us faith. He's the source of faith and belief, and we come to Him for it. And some parts of it might be that there's deceptions going on in your life right now. And some of that deception might have been like, yeah, no, I really thought the Christian life was going to be easy. And, but that's not really, Oh, I didn't, I didn't know the Bible gave me a different picture. Others might, might have thought, yeah, Christians don't suffer. And so when you're suffering, you think, I must not be a good Christian. Christians don't struggle. So when I'm struggling, I must not, there must be something wrong with my faith. There must be something wrong with me. I have questions and Christians don't have questions. They do. And so we bring those. We let God's word start to form and transform our thinking and our mind even in the midst of these struggles, and even in the midst of, of doubt. You might be wondering, Mate, you know, it's not just a lack of faith. I know that sin is the cause of struggle in my life. And that is the case in some areas. Sin does cause suffering. If you walk around your house like an angry man, it's going to cause strife in all of your relationships. It will. And sometimes that is a strife caused by your sin. And so, what do we do? What do we do if our, our strife and our struggle is, is caused by our sin? We do what we did on the day that we come to Christ. We trust His sacrifice. We, we believe His word, that if we confess our sins, we believe, we repent, He washes us. And He's going to give us strength to start overcoming some of those sin and temptation in our life, He's going to start to transform us and form us, and we're going to start to recognize, no, more of my suffering in life actually is caused by my sin, and, and Lord helped transform that. But He doesn't leave us alone to deal with it. He already dealt with it. He dealt with it on the cross. Christ took the penalty for our sin, and it, that penalty for sin is going to be dealt with in one of two places. Either Christ dealt with it on the cross, for those who believe in Him and put their faith in Him, or it's dealt with for eternity in hell, apart from Him. And if you haven't put your faith in Christ, He is a good Savior. I'm not promising you any easy life, but you won't have to be separated from God for all eternity because of your sin, because Christ paid for it. He is our Savior. And, and so we, we don't have to continue thinking that we will for eternity pay for our sins. There are some consequences that just they don't get lifted quickly because there are some natural consequences to sin and, and those will cause difficulty in your life. And it's, it's, that, that is the way it happens sometimes. Prisoners who believe aren't going to be released immediately, but they're going to be transformed. They're going to have hope. They have new life because... They can walk today as those who are faithful to Christ. Struggles aren't always the result of sin. And sometimes we think, man, I really, I just want this, I want this struggle to end. Make it stop, Lord. We come to the source because he knows the days of our trial. He knows how long we must endure. We don't want to treat it like that dispenser and think, okay, Lord, I'm going to learn my lesson and then that'll be over. Like you've heard the story about the, the, the single person who they finally became content with singleness and then God brought someone into their life and they got married. But that's not a promise. God might be teaching that person to be content so that they can honor and be faithful to him singleness throughout their life. God might be forming something in you right now, and, and it, it's not necessarily a trial you, you want or you chose, but who knows how he's going to use it. Who knows how he's going to use it as you go to the hospital because of sickness and the person sitting next to you needs comfort and needs God's word. Who knows how he's going to use it when you're underneath a difficult boss And your faithful character, your integrity shines because you're following God's word and trusting him. Who knows how that's going to reach that difficult boss's heart? In the same way, we have brothers and sisters throughout the world, some of them suffering in prison because of their faith. Who knows how God's going to use that? But he uses it. He uses it now and he uses it for eternity. He demonstrates his glory and he doesn't let them walk it alone. He walks it with us. We have a good God. And his plan for our good, even in suffering, is good. There's a few helpful thoughts from other scriptures that, that help us to put suffering in the right place, that put struggles and conflicts in the right place. Uh, James 1 is one of those, those verses that helps, helps us think rightly about those sufferings. And it says in James 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In this verse, it didn't say Feel the joy of suffering. It said, take account of it and count it in the win column. Count it in the positive column. It's a joy. Count it that. That's where it correctly belongs. Even if you don't feel the joy in the midst of it, that's where it belongs because God is using it in this process of forming you into something beautiful and valuable for his glory He's using it to help make you complete. Romans 8, as well. Romans 8, 28 helps us in our thinking and says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God is using even evil. You know, Joseph could, could see that. His brothers meant what they were doing, throwing him in a pit for evil. They literally wanted him dead and out of their life. And God used it and meant it for good. And God, in all of our circumstances, in all of our struggles, in all of our strife, uses these things for our good. And we want to be those who, who see it properly. But don't worry. It's not like God is just saying, hey, I'm doing this all for your good. He's walking alongside of you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 gives us gives us some hope in the midst of this. And it says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And you might be, well, this is temptation. That temptation is the same word for trials and testing. And so this testing, these trials, no, no testing, no trial, no, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted, tried, tested beyond your ability but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. And you think, finally, God's going to provide an escape. But we see and hear the end of it, the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That way of escape is, is coming to the strength that he provides for you to endure. For you to go on. For you to give him glory, even in those difficult places. In thinking of a an example, something visual to to give you as you think about this, my my thoughts were first drawn to that image of the tree that we're given, you know, that's it's got those deep roots. And, and those roots go down deep. And because those roots, the deeper they go, the stronger it is. That's a great image. But I don't think that's the image Psalm 119 gives us. If that's the image Psalm 119 gives us, it gives us that tree would be the Word of God that has ultimate, eternal strength and hope. And, and then we are like this little vine that crawls up and clings to this strong tree. And that little vine, sometimes the wind blows from one direction and the the tree protects it from those those winds, those storms, and so it doesn't get carried away. Other times, the wind blows directly head on. And, And that vine, whether by its own power or not, starts to get pressed into the tree and clings even tighter. There's a strength rooted deep in God's Word, the source of all life that we can cling to in the midst of our trials, that we can trust that He is using them for His purpose, and His purpose and His will is the best place for us to be. And so we can be faithful in the midst of trials, even as we feel a struggle. We can be faithful in the midst of trials, even as we have questions. We can be faithful in the midst of trials, even as we're crying out for help and deliverance. And so this is what we see the psalmist doing. And we're encouraged to be like him, rooted. And and through time and, and knowing God's word, our questions might start to change some, and we, we, we might start to, to, to trust God and His Word more, but never are we going to then let go of the tree and, and somehow find our own strength to stand. We're continually going to be needing to cling to the source of life that comes from the mouth of God. In Him, we find strength for difficulties. We find forgiveness for sins, We do not always get the answers to our whens and our whys and our hows. But we trust the one who is shaping and forming us. That he will give us all that we need to be his people in the midst of strife and struggles. He's making us into a redeemed people, a beautiful gift for his son, a spotless bride, holy, justified, sanctified, purified, precious in his sight, one day will be glorified. And on that day, strife and struggles will be gone. But until then, I, I hope that we can pray, just as we sang earlier, and should this life bring suffering, Lord, I will remember what Calvary has bought for me, both now and forever. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a a difficult picture in the Psalms, a low place, Lord. But these low places aren't ignored in your word. These low places are revealed and there is a strength that comes from you, Lord, that can provide for your people in the midst of struggle and strife. A strength not dependent on us or even our faith, but a strength dependent on you. Lord, help us to trust your word and to trust you, even in difficulties. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Would you stand and we'll close singing one last song together, All I Have is Christ.
2: I was reading from Colossians this morning. Paul's prayer for the Colossian church. We have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Lord, let it be so. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings.
0: Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor.